This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, since recording this episode, we've done some further research and wanted to share another point of view. It's in relation to Disney CEO Bob Shapek's response to a bill that passed in Florida relating to gay rights. The Journal podcast by the Wall Street Journal has created a great summary of the issues at play. We've included a link in the episode notes and encourage you to take a listen. We don't think a lot of our other ideas about this thesis are out of date, so we're going to leave the episode up as is, but we want to be proud friends and allies of our LGBTQIA community and believe that this is an example of aligning your investments with your beliefs and values. Please always do your own research and make your own investing decisions. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is... To invest. Hello and welcome to Your Ingle Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie. I'm really excited today for two reasons. One, because we're recording together in the same room. Love that. Always better energy. Good vibes. But number two, because you are giving me an investment thesis today for a stock that we both love, which is Disney. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this one has like really defined our childhood. We've talked a few times on the podcast before randomly yeah. about how we're like Disney kids. We've had a few arguments over like which ones we or which ones we listen to, which films we watched. And the Aristocats is the best. I mean, yeah. Anyway. What is your favorite? Well, see, I when we had this discussion, I went to Hannah Montana, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's older. I remember that. <laughs> But see, I ha- I've been actually reflecting on this quite a oh, bit, like I'm a weird sure. amount. I'm sure. I'm glad. So you have an older sister. Like, I've never seen the Aristocats, and I reckon you have an older sister, so you, like, watched younger ones, older ones. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like even though- you're the oldest. Sorry, I'm not trying to say that Hannah Montana's, like, the earliest Disney film I watched. Like, that was my, like, teen Disney love. Yeah. But I feel like when I think about my Disney films, I think, like, Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., even oh, see, like I think of all like the like, classic cartoons. Yeah. Yeah, different. right. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I'm excited for this one because um, in our previous season, I pitched Sonos and I did an investment thesis and I built it up in a certain way. So I'm intrigued to see how you build up your thesis. Yeah. And I am not going to tear it down, but I'm going to, you know, test you. Nice. <laughs> but before we get into today's episode, let's hear from a YIGC community member. Show me the money, honey. Hi, everyone. I'm 25 years old and I work in retail part-time while I'm in my last year of university studies. And I'm currently earning around $2,000 a month. Each month, I try to invest at least $1,000 into shares. Particularly when everything has been so low, I was finding myself investing a little bit more. My portfolio has mainly consisted of ETFs and some individual blue chip companies. I started investing last year and my strategy was to invest in some stable shares and ETFs that pay dividends. 
Although after being influenced by some male figures, I found myself being caught up in FOMO and investing in overhyped speculative stocks. After being burnt with those stocks, I've been consistently sticking to buying and holding ETFs and some blue chip companies. Today, the total value of my portfolio is $19,192 and I've made a profit of $950. I hope this motivates others to take the plunge into investing and that it's okay to stick with what you know and believe in and block out the other noise. I always love hearing how someone else is kind of building up their portfolio and getting, I guess, a bit of the insight to their strategy in their stocks or ETFs. All right. Let's jump into your investment thesis. Yeah, so I'm a big believer when it comes to building up a thesis around a stock that you don't have to do too much work. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Good start. (laughs) Um, I am really of the belief that if you have a good story and if you believe in the story and it makes sense to you, Mm. then it can often be a really good investment. So, but surely you have to have a bit of research into the story and make sure. Yeah, of course. The story is part of the research process, right? Like that's when you look into it and, you know, you you might have an idea, but I fill out the story a bit more, but I, I don't think it doesn't have to be complicated. I think it can actually be really simple ideas because at the end of the day, especially for a company like Disney, We are the consumers. Okay, so your investment thesis is going to be on Disney and you said that the way that you build up a thesis is kind of creating a story to why you really like this company. So why don't we start at the beginning then and you can give us some background on Disney and what's been happening. Yeah, great. So I think for Disney, this is particularly important because it was impacted like quite significantly by the pandemic, both positive and negative. First of all, we know that all the theme parks were forced to close and historically the theme parks have contributed like 50% of Disney's income. Wow. Huge, huge amount. So the fact that they were all shut and then even when they did reopen, you know, limited capacity, people aren't traveling, they were significantly impacted. So this was over like the COVID period, like 2020, a bit of 2021. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then you've got the flip side of that, which is in November of 2019. So I guess what, five months before the pandemic sort of really hit Australia, Disney Plus launched and we all know how the streaming services went over COVID. Yeah. So it's like such a diversified business. It has a bit of both. Oh, this business is very diversified. (laughs) It's my favorite thing about it. (laughs) So if we take a step back and think about the stock price, when the pandemic hit, theme parks and things were forced to shut, the stock price went from about $140 a share to $85 when the market crashed. And that was mainly because of like kind of travel restrictions and people not visiting the parks. Correct. And I guess in the broader context, like that was in March of 2020. So the whole stock market was crashing. Right. So it really has been quite a volatile time because obviously we know that a lot of their business had to shut down. Films couldn't be made, things like that. But then on the flip side, you've got their streaming services. And when they were releasing how fast their subscriptions were growing, you know, their share price went up quite significantly because investors really love to see that, especially in the context of like competing with Netflix and things like that. Okay, so this is where I'm kind of a little bit skeptical. So I'd like to get, I guess, your opinion, because obviously during COVID times, a lot of companies did benefit. Like you look at the likes of like, you know, obviously the streaming services, but even like the likes of Zoom and that growth is kind of unsustainable. Like, for example, Zoom is down 60% this year. And for me personally, I feel like we've really seen that with Disney as well, because their top share price was in, you know, March 2021, when a lot of other businesses were struggling, they hit around $200. But then in December of last year, they posted that their subscription numbers were less than what was expected by the market. So 
you know, we saw this growth and that's great for Disney, but what does it mean now because uh, uh, subscriber numbers dwindling? It's a fair call. I guess how I think about this is like, what were we doing in December of last year or in November of last <laughs> True. year? Like we came out of lockdown. There was no way, like, I like don't think I picked up Netflix once. Like I was, we were out on the town. <laughs> oh, were you? Nice. <laughs> we, I said we, <laughs> sipping margaritas. Like think we, we were out of lockdown. It was summertime. And I, sorry, I know this is in the context of Australia that we're speaking, but like, I think in the post kind of pandemic phase, It'd be silly to think that subscriber numbers for things like Disney and Netflix aren't going to dwindle a little bit. And I think you have mentioned before that like with the Netflix thing that subscriber numbers really do kind of drive the share price sometimes because of its growth. So maybe this was just a period that I don't know why I'm supporting your argument. I'm meant to be against you. (laughs) I will also add to that, that the first quarter results this year were much better and they have seen accelerated subscribers again. So Bam. (laughs) So we've spoken about Disney Plus a little bit and we've spoken about like that as the story. What are other elements that are building up like your conviction around a company like this? Yeah. So I think the biggest reason that I love Disney and you kind of touched on a little bit then is like how, you know, Netflix, for example, is driven so directly by subscriber growth and Disney experience is a little bit of the same, but then there's also so much more to the Disney story or the Disney company. Oh God. So (laughs) the main thing that I want to come back to on this and talk about with you, because the This honestly blew my mind when I first started really digging into it is the Disney franchises. Right. Okay. So what do you mean by franchise? Yeah. So I want to chat through quickly what some of the brands or shows that Disney actually owns, because I think I definitely didn't realize just quite how overarching it was and how incredible it was. So what you're saying is that Disney is a a brand or a company and it owns other brands and companies underneath it, but they all fall under like the Disney umbrella. Exactly. Gotcha. So I guess traditional Disney, you've got things like Mickey Mouse, Lion King, Aladdin, Sleeping Beauty, like all iconic, all love. Yep. Then you've also got Pixar. And see, this is where I started to click with where we have like different experiences. Cause I kind of feel like you have the Disney experience, the Aladdin, the Lion King, Sleeping Beauty, Little Mermaid. I have the Pixar experience. So that's like Toy Story, Frozen. I mean, Frozen was beyond my time, but Toy Story, Finding Nemo. It so wasn't. You so watched Frozen. (laughs) Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., Cars, like The Incredibles, like, okay, all Disney. Then you've also got Marvel, where there's like a whole lot of shows under that. Star Wars, Fox, like The Simpsons, X-Men, Family Guy. Oh, wow. Yeah, they own everything. I'm telling you. Disney owns Fox. Plus a lot of Fox's like broadcasting assets as well. Random. Then you've also got other iconic franchises, things like Winnie the Pooh, the Muppets, the Pirates of the Caribbean, and other major entities as well, including Lucasfilm, National Geographic, ABC, History, Lifetime, Vice. Like, it's quite unbelievable just how much actually comes under the Disney umbrella. I find that really interesting, personally, because I didn't really know that about Disney. And one of the things that I was going to bring up, because when you said you were pitching Disney stock, like I was having conversations with people about like, you know, why you wouldn't invest in Disney because we're trying to pull apart both arguments. And one of them was a friend of mine at work had said that, you know, isn't Disney being a bit boycotted? Because when you think of the classic Disney brands or the movies that I used to really love, (laughs) there's a lot of painting of the pictures of there's a damsel in distress. And So true. Yeah, it is really true when you think about a lot of the films. And he was saying that, there's going to be a next generation of children that might come through that won't be watching these movies because they don't want that picture painted of, you know, you've going to be this helpless woman that has to be saved by a prince or a man or whatever else. And I was like, wow, I hadn't really thought about it 
But I'm now contradicting myself a little bit because you've just explained that there's so many more areas that Disney is involved with. Yeah, true. And I think like what I'm thinking when you say that, because I think it's a very valid point is like, the probably the real question is, is, is Disney going to actually be able to shift? And like in the movies that they make going forward, mm. are they going to be able to be more encompassing and more inclusive? Yeah, I do actually agree with you there to some sense. And I feel like Disney is transformative in that way. Because if you think about some of the more recent movies like Moana, I'm like one of those people that I'm addicted to Moana. I don't know why. I could watch it 10 times. Again, I haven't seen it. Oh my God, you haven't watched Moana? I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. It's just like a really, like on a Sunday, watch Moana. It okay. makes you good. It makes you happy. But that kind of frames like a female heroine, you know, who saves like the island. So I do feel like they do, they're very reactive to that kind of stuff. Mm. One of my friends, actually, I want to give a shout out, has a great podcast called Conceiving It All. And she actually had this conversation about Disney princesses and in the context of disabled people and how when like how important representation is in mm. this context because we grow up watching these films and these shows and we become so engrossed in the storylines. And if you're someone who is not in any way, shape or form represented in that, like that's a real issue. Mm. Well, it's interesting then I guess to watch what Disney do in this space and how they keep evolving. We are taking a quick ad break for our sponsors and we'll be right back to keep building up Maddie's Disney thesis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One thing I'm really curious about is that Disney is in a bit of a transformative spot at the moment in terms of its leadership because you mentioned on our summer series um, the Bob Iger book such a good one ride of a lifetime new york bestseller <laughs> which i said that i was going to read and i haven't yet but i promise i will but my question is is that obviously we're moving over to a new ceo because bob is now retiring as ceo so what do you think of the new leadership coming into the company yeah so it's an interesting one because the previous ceo was ceo for 15 years which is like an incredibly long time to lead a company which i mean i kind of is like potential red flags when he leaves mm. The first thing that I saw that really put my mind to rest in this context is that the new CEO, whose name is also Bob, which is hilarious, <laughs> has Bob. been at the company for 27 years. Yeah. So it's not like he's a new guy coming in who has no idea what's going on. He yeah. knows how Disney works. He recently sort of spoke to the media and outlined what his three strategic pillars for 2022 was. I love someone with goals. <laughs> Got me very excited. The first one, very relevant for us today, is all about the storytelling experience and really 
embracing like the Disney magic, which mm. oh, I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is all about innovation, which I'm going to touch on a little bit next. And then the third one is a relentless focus on audience. He says we must evolve with our audience and not against them. Yeah. Which I guess is what we were just kind of talking about prior to the ad break with like what people want to see in Disney films now and how that's completely shifting from what it was five, ten years ago. So you're happy with the leadership at the moment because you think it's someone that's like really focused on the audience and that are willing to innovate. Yeah, new Bob is a big tick for me. (laughs) New Bob. (laughs) What about old Bob? (laughs) Also a big tick. So turning the page from the past (laughs) to the future... Where is Disney headed? Can you build up more of this story of why you like it for a future investment? Yeah, for sure. So I think the first one that comes to mind is box office. So we are kind of coming out of lockdowns. Hopefully we are really putting COVID behind us for now. And we are able to start making movies again, get back to cinemas. And I think there's a real potential upside for box office revenue. I actually think that's really a thing as well because Going to the movies is so nice. And I love I, it. Yeah, I feel like it's such a nice thing to and do. And I always forget how much I love it. And every yeah. time I go, I'm like, I should do this more. <laughs> yeah, I hope that like goes back, you know, go on a date to the movies. And on the flip side, every time I go, I'm like, wow, this gets more and more expensive, which I guess is maybe a good thing for Disney. <laughs> yeah, true. The other thing that's happening is theme parks and resorts reopening. We can get on planes again. It's all very exciting. And I think as people get more confident with travel, the theme parks are going to get busier and busier. Have you been to Disneyland before? I haven't. I always wanted to go so badly as a kid. I've never actually, I never even went to like the Queensland ones. The like water parks. Yeah. Have you? I was actually so lucky as a kid like shout out to mum and dad because I know you guys listen hi mum <laughs> hi dad hi Fee hi Danny. <laughs> and they surprised us we were I oh, think like cute. they took us on like a little family trip when I don't know how old I was but we, they surprised us at the very end and I cannot tell you that feeling it is the coolest feeling being oh. surprised to go to Disneyland as a kid. Like my heart. I know. And like, <laughs> I think when you talk about so theme emotional. parks, I'm like, that's one of the things that's never going to die. Cause the Disney magic is legitimately a thing. The new CEO was actually the previous head of the theme park segment, which is exciting. And I know that there's been a lot of focus on how they can kind of elevate the experience of theme parks recently. So Disney has introduced, sorry, this is a bit, actually, it's not really off topic, but it's just a really cool thing that I was reading. They've introduced this thing called a Genie Plus service. And it's like this thing where you go on, you pay $15 a day and it completely like plans out your Disney experience, which in turn is leading to like much more revenue for them as well. But it's also elevating the experience of everyone who visits the parks and it's interesting to see that they're obviously trying to work out how they can use innovation or even like technology or automation to grow revenue within a I guess which segment of the business which is really traditional so funny you bring that up (laughs) speaking of innovation in the last couple of weeks Disney has appointed an executive to a new role and they are responsible for leading its next generation storytelling, aka the metaverse strategy. Oh, I have read about Disney going into the metaverse. Can you quickly give me like what you think your definition is of the metaverse? <laughs> um, to be honest, no. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I don't like, I kind of get it, but I don't really. And the hard thing is, is it doesn't exist yet. Yeah. It's a virtual world. Yeah, that's, I think it's the easiest gonna... way to understand it for yeah. the moment is like, Virtual reality, I guess. Yes. 
A few things have been happening in this space in the context of Disney, which is pretty cool to see that such a, like like you were kind of saying before, traditional company is really embracing this new thing. Mm. They've patented the technology for a theme park metaverse, which is pretty cool. And I mean, like we were saying before, like what a great opportunity to make the theme park experience more accessible for people like all over the world. Mm. I think on the one hand here, I completely agree with what you're saying. But on the other hand, it makes me wonder, playing devil's advocate here, you know, like you said, the metaverse is, you know, very much in its infancy stages. And people really do like Disney because of that Disney magic, which is created because of like in-person experiences. So I wonder if putting its resources to something that might not even eventuate into, I guess, like a profit-making area for them. It's true, but I like... I get what you're saying, but I kind of disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I nah, think like, I yes, the theme parks are magical and that's one way to experience Disney. But I think, you know, we experience it in the cinemas. We experience it at home, watching the movies, the stories. And I think if you can make virtual reality and we can experience a theme park in our own home, like even better. Yeah. I'm just a skeptic of the metaverse at the moment. No, I appreciate that. And I kind of agree. But I think what I find that's impressive, even if you take like the metaverse specifically out of it is that such an old traditional company that's been around for so long Mm. is actually able to be agile enough to embrace this kind of stuff you make a very good point maddie (laughs) i can't argue with you much longer so before we finish i guess the final chapter of my pitch if you will is i want to describe to you how i see the moat for disney because and can you give us a quick recap of what a moat is It's basically, (laughs) sorry, I'm asking you all the really hard questions. It's like a moat around a castle because there's a princess stuck in the castle. True, very relevant. (laughs) I guess you think of a moat as like, what's its competitive advantage? Like what is going to stop another company from just replicating what Disney does and being better at it? So we like to invest in things with a good moat. So what is Disney's moat? Well, recently I read something that described Disney's business as a waterfall. So you've got great movies, which drive box o- big box office and streaming subscribers, which then drives content for TV networks and eventually rides at theme parks and sales of consumer products. Like everything flows into everything. And it's kind of the system that just self-advertises itself. It's quite incredible. So Really, the business is making more business for itself just by going through its everyday kind of practices. I think for me, it really all comes back to the franchises. Like when I was reading them and listing them off before, the stories that they have under the Disney umbrella are almost just impossible to compete with. So that raises a good question then in my mind, who are, if if we're talking about them having a competitive advantage, who are Disney's competitors? I mean... (laughs) I actually kind of struggled to think of this, to be honest, but I guess maybe it's like you break it up into the segments. Like we talk about how they're such a diversified business. Mm. I guess, you know, Netflix are a competitor to Disney Plus. There's like Sony or Warner Media are competitors for their franchise business, but there's not really anyone, at least that I can think of, that can fully encompass what Disney offers. Okay, so you've really created this story for us. You know, it's got lots of different components. I'm feeling a bit sold on Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But not financial advice. (laughs) Why? I guess my question is why now? And is, you know, when you do look at a share price and I think it's sitting at around like the $150 mark, like is that the peak that it's going to go to and is that too expensive? Like how do you see this going in the future and why are you investing in it right now? I mean, you raise a very good point. And I think often 
in the past when I have looked at companies, individual stocks to invest in, to be honest, I'm not really someone that like gets into the financials. Like I don't look at that stuff. And I guess over the last couple of years that I have been investing, I've gotten away with that because the markets have been going up. Yeah. So like when people say, oh, companies overvalued, it kind of hasn't really mattered because everything has gone, just continued to go up regardless. So is it more important to you now to like even look at if the company is profitable? Definitely. I think I am kind of taking a step back at the moment and maybe thinking that I should consider the financial aspect of businesses more because something that is overvalued actually now that we are in more of a bear market that has a lot more weighting to it than what it ever has previously in the time that I've been investing. I guess considering all of that in mind, why do you think now is still a good time to be investing in Disney? So I think if we go back to the key points that we've discussed today, we've got a CEO who has a lot of theme park experience, who's really focusing on this, on the backdrop of a world that is opening back up again and travel is coming through. So We've got a lot of upside in theme park revenue. Yeah. Number two is we were just saying how we want to get back to cinemas. And that is the perfect time to be driving box office revenue. Yeah. Number three, you've got Disney Plus who is looking to overtake Netflix in the next few years, which is unbelievable growth. Do you have a Disney Plus membership? No, but Sam does. There you go. And I watched Cruella de Vil on it. (laughs) You've got Disney Plus, which is kicking goals and has really good prospects for the next few years. And then you've got this house of franchises that is really hard to compete with, with stories that, I mean, we've kind of joked about it a few times, but are quite magical. And finally, we have a new CEO at the helm of this company who has a really clear and cool vision for where he wants to take the company into this like new world that we're entering at the moment. I really like how you built up the thesis today. I think it is really important to have that um, story behind it. But on the same token, you've got to criticize like the good points because otherwise you're going to have like all this happiness about the stock and not understand why it would go down. Definitely. So out of interest, have I sold you? Are you thinking about investing in Disney? Well, this is a this is a really hard one as is. Like I love Disney, and then you're like, I'm doing Disney, and you've got to be against it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you've sold me. Nice. And maybe we should do a little exercise and like you know, at the end of the year, check in on <laughs> Disney and Sonos because yeah. Sonos is my pitch. True. It's gone down recently, but that's fine. Long term conviction. Exactly. And see whose thesis is holding strong. On that note, we'd love to hear if you guys have any thoughts about the thesis and if we've missed any like key weaknesses or even key strengths, happy for my thesis to get even better. Join our Facebook community at YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group because we're going to start a conversation about it in there. I actually love getting people's opinions about this stuff. Jump onto Instagram at YIGC Podcast or across on TikTok. We're trying very hard also at YIGC Podcast. You will hear from us next week. Catch you then. Bye. You're in Good Company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com making any financial decisions you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary consult a licensed financial professional do not take financial advice from a podcast for more information head to the disclaimer page on the equity mates website where you can find asic resources and find a registered financial professional near you in the spirit of reconciliation equity mates media and the hosts of your in good company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout australia and their connections to land sea and community we pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all aboriginal and torres strait islander people today